discussing the future, God's plan for the future. I mentioned when we began the series that it's a bit confusing if you focus too much on the details. And so instead, we set up this little graphic to demonstrate that most of us as Christians can identify in common as we read the Bible, uh, certain of the peaks in God's prophetic mountain range. Generally, we have large agreement about the peaks, the prominent features in God's prophetic calendar. When it comes to the details, however, uh, the timing of things, what happens in the gaps, uh, we're free to differ. It's a little more confusing. And I was relieved to find out that the confusion with reference to some of the facets of future things existed even in Paul's day. He, marvelous, devoted man of God, great church planter and teacher, uh, began to teach a group of, to my surprise, relatively new Christians the deep things of future events. He was teaching, Paul was, he was teaching a group of new believers. They were called Thessalonians, because they lived in a place called Thessalonica, which you can find today in modern-day Greece. They were only a few weeks, a few months old in the Lord, and Paul was engaging them in teaching about fairly profound future events. I don't think anyone could do it better except the Lord Jesus, and yet, uh, much, I think, perhaps to Paul's surprise, certainly to mine, they didn't quite get it. In fact, they were confused about the order of events in the unfolding of God's prophetic calendar. And their confusion, in part due to the fact that there were uh, false teachers who were really trying to lead them astray, their confusion caused them to be quite unsettled about their present state of affairs because this is what was transpiring. They were Christians, excited and identifying themselves unashamedly as such, and because of it, they were taking the heat for being Christ ones. We shouldn't be surprised by it. Uh, he says, uh, as the world treated me, they'll kind of treat you. And so these relatively new believers were experiencing, well, if you will, a kind of a tribulation of sort, opposition, persecution, uh, because of their public identification with Christ. And... At times, it got to be so sufficiently severe, they thought, <gasps> somehow we went to sleep one night and woke up the next morning to find ourselves smack dab in the midst of the great tribulation. Well, as you could imagine, they were quite disturbed about this because they thought, based upon what Paul apparently told them, that they would avoid the tribulation, that God would save them from the wrath to come, and that they would, in fact, be prior to this great tribulation, caught up or raptured. That's the first event to occur next for Christians. They were persuaded of it. Paul taught them the pre-tribulational rapture. That's not a modern idea. Good night. That's a biblical thing. In fact, they wouldn't have been disturbed if he didn't teach them that they would be raptured before the tribulation. They were disturbed now because they thought somehow they missed it. And that explains why they're in the midst of so many trials and such tribulation. And indeed they were. And so Paul is now going to have to address the issue and correct their misunderstanding and 
I was quite interested to see how he did, and I think you will be as well. And so will you join with me in taking just a gander at a few verses? Second Thessalonians is the first one. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, verse 1. And so this is what it says, and I think it'll appear on the screen if I keep repeating it. Second Thessalonians, I say. These are our subtle cues. Second Thessalonians... It's okay, you have your own Bibles if you'd like to look at those. Here we see. If you're obnoxious enough, wow. They trip you up. Well, well. Have you, have you heard the one about the priest, the rabbi, and the... Uh, speaking of tribulation... I know it. This is a good spot to begin. Second Thess 2.1. Now we request you, brethren. I love the tone by which Paul corrects their misunderstanding. Wasn't harsh at all, was it? We request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's no disputing it. Uh, they were confused about a future event, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. With regard to this, says Paul, we request you, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. Well, that's the rapture, isn't it? We request of you, with regard to these matters, future matters, Thessalonians, said Paul, uh, namely the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, during which time we will be gathered together with him. We request he says in the next verse, 2 Thessalonians 2, 2, that you be not quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed, and they were. You know, a misunderstanding about what's ahead can shake you, and apparently it did. And, and so he said, don't be shaken, don't be disturbed, either by a spirit there were three sources, avenues into their lives by which they were being shaken and confused. And one was, Paul says, a spirit, meaning someone would come forward to the Thessalonians, captivate them, uh, and suggest to them, I speak to you with the spirit of prophecy. Paul says, don't be shaken, don't be disturbed, either by a spirit or by a message. Somebody claiming credentials he, she didn't have. Someone feigning godliness in a right understanding of Scripture, uh, but instead communicating messages that were false. Don't be disturbed, says he, either by a spirit or a message, or here's the third source of stumbling, a letter as if from us. What did he mean? <gasps> Could it be possible that in Paul's day people so despised his leadership and his stand for Almighty God that they would, in an attempt to undermine his ministry, send false letters to the Thessalonians as if they came from him? Yeah. You know, people were kind of like that then, and people are like that now, and human nature ain't so hot. And so this is the third source of stumbling. A letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Relax, said he. You're not relaxed. Calm down. Don't be disturbed. 
with regard to this information you're receiving about these vital matters, namely the coming day of the Lord. Don't be disturbed by all this. And so the point communicated to these Christians from one or more of these three sources was that the day of the Lord has come. If the day of the Lord has come, and they understood what it meant, that meant to them they missed the rapture, which means they are going, contrary to Paul's teaching, they're going to go through the great tribulation. So, again, let me tell you what was going on with them. They were experiencing tremendous upheaval. I don't want to minimize it, but it wasn't the great tribulation, which we will speak about, Lord willing, one day, if we ever get there. They were experiencing hardships, as God's people always have. But the great tribulation, no, is a particular time of intense outpouring of the wrath of God upon the earth. And they were not in that period, yet though they thought so. You see, they were falsely being taught, and they thus concluded that it was true, that they were in the day of the Lord. Now, the day of the Lord, as mentioned in both Old and New Testaments, is actually not a singular day. It's an era. It is a period of future time, the beginning of which has not happened yet. The beginning of which is the beginning of the Great Tribulation, a seven-year period. But it also involves even longer periods of time than just that. It involves the second coming of the Lord Jesus. It, establish, it, it, it involves the establishment of his 1,000-year earthly reign. All of this is the day of the Lord. And so it begins with the great tribulation. And so uh, they thought they were in this day of the Lord, because they were experiencing such tribulation. They were led to believe, you see, they missed the rapture. Somehow they were led astray. The rapture doesn't come first. Somehow they jumped over it. Now they're smack dab in the day of the Lord, inaugurated by the great tribulation period. And that would surely invalidate Paul's teaching. And that, frankly, of most Orthodox Christians since the time of Paul, that we Christians will not go through the time of the great tribulation, but that the rapture will precede it. So it shook them up greatly, as you could understand. But though they were certainly experiencing tribulation, they were not in the great tribulation. Because as Paul will show them, certain events have to take place before the day of the Lord. So folks, the rapture, and the day of the Lord are two separate things. You could get confused if you don't make the separation. The rapture, if you're a Christian, involves you. You're going to be caught up by the Lord Jesus. He'll snatch you even if you're not willing to go. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And we will all be reunited with the Lord, and we will meet him in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. That is the next event in God's prophetic calendar. I made the statement quite dogmatically. I'll make it again. There is nothing, no key prophetic event that must precede the rapture before it happens. That's called the imminence of the rapture. It means it can happen at any time. But... 
the day of the Lord is different. And that's where I think some get easily confused. There are events which must precede it. When I mentioned to you, nothing has to happen before we are raptured, I meant it. But there are certain things that have to precede the day of the Lord. Remember, the day of the Lord is not the rapture. The day of the Lord hasn't happened yet. It begins with the onset of the great tribulation, which takes place after the rapture. So we started with the rapture. And then immediately we believers will go before the Bema seat, the judgment seat, where the Lord will dispense rewards on the basis of how we conducted ourselves here as Christians. And then after that, something else is going to happen. But, but nothing has to happen prior to the rapture. And so Paul does not point out things that must take place before the rapture. I'll show you. He points out things that must take place before the day of the Lord. And here is the first. It's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Let no one, says he, in any way deceive you. For it... The it, as we have seen, is the day of the Lord, not the rapture. For it, the day of the Lord, will not come unless, here's the first thing that must take place before the day of the Lord, the apostasy. There's a second thing. We won't get to it tonight. We'll get to it in a couple weeks. For tonight, let's just look at this first thing. Again, remember, Paul is not talking about the rapture. Nothing has to precede the rapture. Everything is taken care of in terms of the unfolding of God's redemptive plan. We could be raptured at any moment in the twinkling of an eye, like a thief in the night. Be ready. It could take place at any time. Folks, if Paul didn't teach that, the Thessalonians wouldn't have been disturbed about the fact that they thought they missed it. So, what Paul is speaking about are events which must precede not the rapture, but the day of the Lord, which begins with the great tribulation. He says what must come first before the day of the Lord is the apostasy, the apostasy. So, what is that? Well, the word apostasy, as many of you know, means a falling away. It means a departure from what one once held to. It means a rebellious departure from a position previously held. Apostasy is not a new thing that's taken place throughout human history. But notice, the event Paul is speaking of here, the event which must precede the day of the Lord, which begins with the great tribulation, he doesn't refer to that event as an apostasy. Do you notice? He calls it the apostasy. This event is a marked, noticeable, orchestrated, worldwide rebellion against truth, specifically God's truth, as revealed in his word, and in the outworking of his plan in the world. It's a time of worldwide deliberate departure from the truths of Almighty God involving the professing church, 
but not limited to it. I think some people make the mistake of thinking the apostasy will be committed only by religionists who attend church but really don't know the Savior. Oh, yes, it will involve them, but no, no, no. This is far more general. It involves professing Christians for sure, but it also involves the world in general. It is not merely this apostasy to come, a mass defection of professing Christians. It's also a mass abandonment of standards reflecting the moral character of God. This apostasy, the apostasy, is a worldwide anti-God movement which will be so universal as to earn for itself the special designation, the apostasy. It hasn't happened yet, but... I think you have to be blind not to see it coming. Is it far-fetched? An anti-God mentality, even in our own day? Things we never would have imagined being put into law? Anti-God law. Oh, I tell you, it's on the way. It isn't far-fetched at all. Now, there have been various apostasies throughout history, as I mentioned, when people, when groups have turned away from God. But this is different. This is the final rebellion to end all rebellions against God and which will culminate in the Lord's second coming. Now, how will this come about? If it's as big, as worldwide, as intense and immense as I make it out to be, does it just happen spontaneously out of the clear blue? No, it requires a catalyst. It requires an initiator. It requires an author of all the confusion. It requires an initiator. It requires a leader somehow who enters the world stage and gains acceptance by the corrupt world leaders. Yeah, it requires it an antichrist and the world knows him as the antichrist they refer to him that way and so the subject of the antichrist in my opinion is the next key event in God's prophetic calendar I'm going to keep the antichrist behind me if you don't mind the antichrist and so he will be the subject of our times together for the next several weeks. I want to get to the point where I can tell you who he is specifically. No. <laughs> In fact, I will tell you why we don't know and cannot know now. So, so, so hang in there. But there's plenty we can know about the Antichrist and what we can know, not speculate about, I don't want to get there, what we can know from the scriptures, let's know it and thus be prepared. So this Antichrist, and the name is commonly used even in popular movies, did you know the term Antichrist is only mentioned five times in the New Testament and all five times by the same author, uh, the Apostle John? But that he is only mentioned by this name five times doesn't mean he isn't mentioned in other places, as I'll show you over the next several weeks. Oh, he's mentioned plenty by all kinds of other uh, not-so-complementary epithets, which we will examine. But I want to just show you, for demonstration purposes, one place where the Apostle John refers to the Antichrist. Here it is, 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Children, 
It is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, there he is. Just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. John said, children, it is the last hour. So was John wrong? I mean, he wrote that 2,000 years ago. What do you mean last hour? Last hour? 2,000 years have gone by? Where's the Antichrist? Was John wrong? No, he's not wrong. We're wrong about our understanding about what John meant when he used the expression, the last hour. Would you be distressed if I told you we're in the last hour right now? Because it's a technical term. That's not an opinion of mine. The last hour, or phrases like it, when used by biblical writers, is always a reference to the period of time between the two advents or appearances of the Lord Jesus Christ. His first coming, 2,000 years ago. His second coming, I don't know when. Soon, maybe. After a number of events. And so what happens in between this parenthesis of the Lord's first and second coming, that's called the last days, the last hour. So if I make this statement, folks, we're in the last days, I'm not setting time specifically, nor am I being overly dramatic. That's what it means. And so the last days began with the first advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. They end with his second coming. And so John did not lead them astray at all. We just don't get it. So when he said to them, good night, children, it is the last hour, he meant they are smack dab in the middle of the two parentheses of the Lord's first and second coming. And so are we. So he wasn't wrong at all. Now, folks, why did John tell them it's the last hour if it's a long period of time and nobody knows exactly when it'll end? To keep his readers alert. That's why. It's a way of saying under inspiration, live as if it is the last hour. Live as if the Lord Jesus could return before the morning. Live in light of his soon coming. Live in light of the imminency of the rapture. John and the other writers couldn't even suggest that kind of thinking. If there's anything else, that has to happen before the rapture. Don't you see it? It could happen at any time. Live as if these are the last days. And so John said, children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming. Wow. They heard he's coming. You know what's grievous? In many churches, so-called today, the people haven't heard that Antichrist is coming. You know why? It's not taught. You know why? Because the word of God is devalued. That's why. Thank God, thus far, we haven't drifted here. Let's be guarded, lest we do. If the Bible says it, we believe it. We declare it. We live by it. His readers heard that the Antichrist is coming. You must know that the Antichrist is coming. I have it on good authority. The word of God. It's not an opinion. 
There it is. The Antichrist is coming. And then John says, even now, many Antichrists have appeared. What does he mean? Well, he kind of means little Antichrists. And so there it was indeed the Antichrist that he alludes to who is yet to come. But preceding his coming, the coming of the Antichrist, there are lots of little Antichrists uh, around. And he says they have already appeared. Who are they? Well, they're religious leaders who are anti-God. Isn't that crazy to think that a religious person would be anti-God? No. Happens all the time. They're political leaders who are anti-God. They're television personalities, popular women on TV who some of you are glued to every day, who are little antichrists. You don't get it. Because you like her. I didn't say anything by <laughs> specifically. They're here. Look at if they were around in John's day. How much nearer are we to the last hour preceding the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm not any date setter, but I know I'm 2,000 years closer to the Lord's return than they were when John wrote. If he issued the alarm, be ready. Live in light of the Lord's soon coming. How much more should we be ready? So he said there are these little antichrists, and they're going, they're already appearing. And their appearing is an indication of the soon appearing of the antichrist. And that's why John says, from this we know that it is the last hour. How can you know it is the last hour? Look around. You see all these little antichrists? They're not the antichrist. They're just signs telling you, wake up, Christians. The Antichrist is going to come. They have to come first. And so it is the Antichrist whose coming is preceded by these little Antichrists who, in fact, will lead humanity. Come on. When a popular preacher gets on TV and can't even tell people when asked how you get saved, do you mean to tell me the billions of these and that and that if they don't believe in Jesus Christ are going to go to hell? It's not for me to say. Who then is to say it? God entrusted that message to us, not to angels. That's the spirit of Antichrist. I didn't mention any name. If you don't know who I'm talking about, you're in trouble. <laughs> but he's likable. Oh, man. We're on the verge of electing a president on the basis of likability instead of character and content of message. Don't tell me this is outlandish. It's nice to be likable. I'd rather have someone tell me the truth. So, 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 so the Antichrist is going to come, but before he comes, look at all these voices of the little Antichrists. Now, they precede his coming, and then when he comes, he is the one who will lead the world into a massive end-time rebellion against the truth of God, which Paul, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, which we looked at, referred to as the apostasy. No, it doesn't just happen. He is the author of it. The Antichrist brings it about. And so, 
Uh, if what John said to his readers was true, then what John is saying to us <laughs> is just as true and even closer of fulfillment. So, I'm getting carried away. Don't be shaken, fellow Christians, as if the difficulties of this day, as if the anti-God, specifically anti-Christ, polemic, which we hear on the airwaves, on primetime TV, uh, from pulpits across this land and from our politicians, don't be shaken as if the day of the Lord has come and you missed being taken up and out. <laughs> no. There's plenty of tribulation. These are birth pangs. <laughs> oh, by the way, it's going to get worse. You know why it's important to know this? Don't be shaken when it do. It's going to come. Don't be taken by surprise. But don't get nervous either. It has to happen this way. It doesn't mean you're in the great tribulation. The wrath of God has been fully outpoured on your Savior as a substitute for you. You don't have to fear the wrath of God if you've accepted the Lord Jesus as your sin substitute. You're not going through the tribulation. We're living with alertness in expectancy of the rapture coming at any particular time. So, folks, the rapture can take place without any preceding events. It is the day of the Lord, beginning with the great tribulation, which must be preceded by the first thing Paul told us, the apostasy, and then the second event, which must precede the great tribulation is what we will talk about next time. I see them do this on TV. That's what, how you get people to tune in. We'll see about it next time. But I'll tell you what. Until that happens, um, could I just mention, I have found nowhere in the Bible where we Christians are told to look for the Antichrist. But I am told in the Bible, as are you, to fix our gaze on the author and perfecter of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is victory in Jesus. Would you stand and sing it with me? I didn't ask my friend.